welcome to another episode of Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. And thanks to John Graham Randall for providing the theme music for this episode. I'm your host, Melton McMainerberry, and on this podcast, we're looking wistfully back on this 20-year swath of country music, try to answer the question of what exactly it was that made it special. And we're doing that by aiming our rose-colored glasses at the songs played on satellite radio's 80s and 90s country station, one at a time. Today, we ride west through Billy Dean's signature 1992 hit, Billy the Kid. So, if you haven't already, why don't you pause me now and give Billy the Kid a few close listens. I'll also be referring to frequently referenced past Nashville Anthem selection, Garth Brooks's Rodeo, a fair amount in this episode, if you want to shake the dust off the boots of that one as well. Well, with that said, let's get into Billy the Kid. Billy Dean co-wrote Billy the Kid with Paul Nelson and released the song as the third single from his self-titled second album in one of country music's best years, in my humble opinion, 1992. The two singles preceding Billy the Kid, by the way, were a couple of other 90s classics, You Don't Count the Cost and Only the Wind. You know, Billy Dean's peak was fairly short, I mean, compared to some of the legends we've covered on this podcast so far. But he was certainly one of the big names of the early 90s, maybe a forgotten favorite even. In addition to the three singles we just mentioned, remember his cover of We Just Disagree? It was great. Only Here for a Little While, Somewhere in My Broken Heart, Trying to Hide a Fire in the Dark, always loved that one. He never had a number one, so maybe that keeps him off some lists or something, but that probably had more to do with the packed era in which he peaked than it does with the quality of his music. And his vocals are recognizable and believable, as we'll get to shortly. But back to Billy the Kid. Chart-wise, it peaked at number four on the Billboard Country Chart in the summer of 1992, held out of the top spot by... The summer of 92 was a stacked era, folks. It was Alabama at number three with the single Take a Little Trip. Garth Brooks at number two with The River. And the number one song that week was previous Nashville anthem selection. Quintessential honky-tonker Brooks and Dunn's Boot Scootin' Boogie. Well, finally rounding out the credits, Billy the Kid's producers were Chuck Howard and well-known Nashville songwriter Tom Shapiro. So with that context, let's get into the song itself and describe some of the things that at least I'm hearing that make it what it is. The first overall thing I want to talk about is the sonic contrast between this song's verses and its choruses. Very much like its predecessor from the year before, Garth Brooks' aforementioned Rodeo, Blue the Kid employs verses that are dark, bluesy, mysterious, and western-themed, and choruses that are more energetic and Although this isn't as much the case with Rodeo, more straightforwardly melodic three-chord country. Let's start with the verses. Remember how in Rodeo we introduced what's ended up being a defining commonality of a large chunk of 80s and 90s country? That of blues influence? On other songs we've talked about blues form, which comes up all the time. Ain't going down to the sun comes up, third rock of the sun, crazy over you and its favorite son, Boot Scoot and Boogie, are all in blues form. But in Rodeo, we noticed that while that song was not in blues form, it made heavy use of blues tonality. And the same thing is going on in Billy the Kid. You hear these dark western blues tones in, I mean, it's pretty much the total package, but let's point to a few specific contributing elements. Might as well start with Billy Dean's vocals. Now, he has a wistful authenticity to his delivery on this song that we'll talk about later. But right now, I want to point out the dark, bluesy way he sings these verses and how akin that delivery is to Garth Brooks's on Rodeo. Now, Billy the Kid is in the key of D major. That's one step down from Rodeo's key of E major. 
You'll remember, hopefully, because we've beaten this point to death on Nashville anthems, that defining blue notes of blues tonality are minor thirds and minor sevenths. Thirds, especially, are ground zero for bluesifying a song tonally, such that just saying minor thirds oversimplifies what's really going on, because vocals, as well as instruments that are capable of bending pitch, like guitars, for example, play fast and loose with thirds in blues, singing them as full major, full minor, and everything in between. So said it can be very difficult to name exactly what notes are being played a lot of the time, and impossible to reproduce on an instrument like piano that can't bend pitch. For example, listen to the notes Billy Dean is singing on this verse of Billy the Kid, then listen to me try to reproduce them on piano. Strapped on my holster low across my hips With two coat 45s with white plastic grips So, especially when he's in this range right around here, which is the third degree of a D scale, that's an F sharp, the notes kind of lose their tonal definition. Watch this. Here's the melody of the verse playing all major thirds, F sharps. That didn't sound quite right, did it? Right, now here it is playing all minor thirds, F naturals. That's probably closer, but it still didn't sound quite right, did it? Here it is again as Dean sings it. Strapped on my holster low across my hips With two coat 45s with white plastic grips the point here is that Dean is playing around with that pitch vocally, and that's a defining characteristic of blues vocals. You know, there are a lot of online videos available of Dean performing this song live, by the way, well after 1992, and if you listen to them, you'll hear that over time, apparently, Billy Dean has leaned into this bluesy delivery more and more. Here's an example. Strapped on my holster low across my hips The two cold 45s and them white plastic grips I'd head west to our neighborhood And they'd say, here comes young Billy And is up to no good Also, just for fun, back to the 1992 recording, just to show that Dean's not a one-trick pony, here he is playing with the seventh degree, as well as the third degree of, this time, the four chord in the song, a G chord. And I'd head west through our neighborhood, let's say. So all this is very much like Garth Brooks did vocally in Rodeo. We went to that extensively in that episode, if you want to go back and give it a listen. And in Billy the Kid, it produces that same like mysterious, dark, macho vibe that Rodeo had, although this time heavily tempered by childhood nostalgia, as we'll get to in a bit. But back to Billy the Kid, because also instrumentally, there's a lot going on that contributes to this Western blues vibe. Note, for example, the rhythm section, the foreboding kick drum doubled by the bass guitar, suggesting something like stepping into a saloon. With the lack of groove and lack of backbeat that builds suspense 
through anticipation. Yeah. More on that specifically later. Listen to the acoustic guitar also. This is a subtle thing, but the acoustic rhythm guitar is played in drop D tuning. Drop D is when the lowest string, the E string, is tuned down to a D. It's a common thing to do in heavy metal music because it kind of nastifies the low end on the guitar and makes those big power chords easier to play. And something similar is going on here in Billy the Kid, believe it or not. You get visual confirmation that he's in drop D in the video if you watch Billy Dean's left hand when he strums a G. Also, in a lot of those online performances that I mentioned, many of them are completely solo Billy Dean. You can very clearly see Dean strumming in drop D. So drop D tuning allows the guitar player to produce a fuller version of a tonic D chord than he otherwise would be able to because it adds a couple more notes on the low end. I'll try to replicate it on piano. These are the notes of an open D chord on guitar in standard tuning. And these are the notes in open D tuning. So see, so you get this super low D as well as this low A is kind of a bonus note if you want it. So as such, a D chord in drop D becomes similar to an E chord in standard tuning, which Rodeo, of course, made heavy use of since it was in that key. The other thing that drop D tuning does for that D chord is it allows it to be played as an open chord. Now, we talked about the concept of open chords in the Rodeo episode. That's a chord that's missing the third degree. Open chords have a naturally dark, mysterious quality because they're missing exactly the degree that would answer the question, is this chord major or minor? So you can see the connection to what we talked about earlier with the importance of playing with the third degree in bluesy music, right? Open chords leave the question of tonality open, providing just the space Billy Dean's vocals need to play with that question, making the whole thing dark, mysterious, uncertain, and foreboding. We talked about that quite a bit in the Rodeo episode. Let me point out one more acoustic guitar thing, though, which is sometimes doubled by a twangy electric guitar, actually. It's this lick that shows up a lot. It's kind of an instrumental motif in Billy the Kid. It's ABC-CBA. The notes ABC in this key are 5, 6, and minor 7. That's a different key, but those are the same chord degrees that form the motif of the uber-bluesy past Nashville anthem selection, Crazy Over You. So finally, instrumentally, I want to point out, I'm honestly not sure what instrument it is that's producing this sound. At times it sounds like an electric guitar, at times it sounds like a pedal steel guitar, at times, I don't know, maybe both, but it's this. That note, although clearly it's being bluesily bent, is basically a C natural, which is the minor seventh of a D chord, i.e. one of the blue notes. This element is one of the reasons the verses sound not just dark, mysterious, and bluesy, but specifically Western and all that. Again, a la rodeo. Here it suggests this.
It's such a great touch, and it's the sort of thing that turns a good song into a great one. So that's the dark western verse. Let's talk about this much brighter, livelier chorus. The first thing to note is the tonal shift. Gone are the open chords, blue notes, in between minor and major thirds, and in its place is Dean singing very straightforwardly major tones, a little higher in his register, flowing more clearly and naturally up and down a D major scale. The song's hook is the melody at the beginning of the chorus. It's this. I miss Billy the Kid. Those are A's on I miss over an A major chord. And then still on that A major chord, walking up, starting with the note C sharp, which is the major third of the A chord, as well as the major seventh of the tonic D chord, so instantly de-bluesified from a couple of angles, if you will. But the melody then walks up on Billy the, at C sharp D E. Then as the chord changes to a G major, walking back down on kid, that's three syllables made out of a one-syllable word, but those notes are D, C sharp, and B. And that B natural being the non-blues major third of the G chord. Here's that whole pattern. There's more walking down a D major scale after that in this chorus, not to be late with the point, but I'll, I'll just play it. The point is that it's a natural trip along a standard D major scale. No tonal ambiguity, no jumping around, landing in weird places like Dean was doing to color the verses. This is a summer's coming level of bright, natural, non-blues melody. The instruments do it too, but I'll let you listen for that on your own for the most part. Except I do want to point out that the last chorus, the repeated chorus, at the end of the song switches to cut time, which, when it happens, immediately feels like the exuberance the track had been holding back all along. I miss Billy the Kid I miss Billy the Kid Feel how happy that is, how energetic, how bright, how much of a release of something pent up it feels like. It's the apex of the contrast between chorus and verse. This chorus solves the verse's mystery. It makes explicit what we were inferring from the verses by supporting the lyrical tone with musical shifts that paint a full picture of the kind of nostalgia this song is digging into. So let's go there now. Let's talk about Billy the Kid's specific take on nostalgia. Because at its heart, I think it's really Billy the Kid's mention in the chorus of Innocence Lost. I think we have both Billy Dean's personal loss of innocence as well as something like a loss of cultural innocence, or at least the perception thereof at play here. So let's talk about that loss of personal innocence because it's the more apparent one on the surface. Let's just say out loud what this song is about. We have Billy Dean, first person narrating his childhood experience of playing outside in his neighborhood, pretending to be a cowboy like on Gunsmoke or something. And he emphasizes the contrast between the bigness of the adventures he was imagining at the time and the smallness of the reality of the situation in this local context. The emphasis of, even celebration of, smallness, especially in this apparently rural or maybe suburban setting, being something we've seen a lot of in 80s and 90s country music, especially 90s country. 
So some of the details that form that emphasized contrast, you have Dean riding west, but he's riding west where? Through his neighborhood. And he's riding on his well-trodden horse trail that went exactly as far as one house over through his neighbor's backyard. He's carrying guns, but they're toy guns. And anyway, all the shooting he's doing involves the handlebars of his bicycle. The coup de grace, of course, is that this brave gunslinger's biggest fear of all the outlaws he faces in the old wild, wild west is his mama if he shows up late for supper. So we get the idea, right? We have to. He lays it on pretty thick. But the contrast between reality and make-believe is really key to what this song is doing. I want to point out, too, that this song is fairly unique in that it breaks the fourth wall, if you will, softening up that line between singer and storyteller, if not erasing it altogether, as Billy Dean makes it clear that he's talking about himself here when he describes his brave adventures. Otherwise, the play on words in the title, of course, makes no sense. But Dean also tells the story of the writing of this song, actually, in some of those online performances I mentioned, and in particular the real-life childhood experiences that inspired it. But I'll let you look those up on your own. So after setting the table in the verses of that contrast between childhood fantasy and the reality of the adults around him at the time, Dean becomes the adult in the chorus, into the present day of the song, wistfully looking back on those childhood experiences and being explicit that he misses them. He misses those times, and more specifically, he misses himself in them. He misses Billy the Kid. I love the line, I guess he must have got caught. I guess he must have got caught. How wistful is that? Even in narrating this loss of innocence, he's narrating in an imaginative way. It kind of harkens back to the very fantastical adventures that he's thinking about. Dean's delivery, too, you can hear it in his voice. Such authentic-sounding, dreamy-eyed, looking back on something bittersweet in its utter irretrievability. I guess he must have got caught. His innocence lost. Like, that's the best explanation he can muster up for how and when that joyful, exuberant, youthful imagination left him. I guess he got caught. Note that it's in the third person as well, that detachment. It's not that I got caught such that my innocence is lost. He did. I'm so separated from it by the realities of adulthood that it doesn't even feel like me anymore. And there's a relatable sadness to that, right? We can all remember a touch of how we used to unleash our imaginations on our routine lives as children. And maybe we all get a touch sad when we realize as adults that we lost that somewhere along the way without even realizing it. And that reality simply will never allow us to bring it back fully. Was childhood really like that? I think we have to say yes and no. Is Dean looking at his childhood through rose-colored glasses? Of course he is. It wasn't really that pure, that sweet, that innocent, that free, or that fun. At least not all the time. But it wasn't entirely not all that either. There's enough truth to what he's saying that the memory can still ring true to us in a relatable way. But there's another thing going on here, and it happens when Dean pivots from childhood memories to present-day struggles in the second verse. Because that's where Dean starts to narrate not just a loss of personal innocence, but also a wider loss of what I'm going to call cultural innocence. 
Here's where the song drifts into probably some conservative idealism. Dean would have been a child in the 1960s, so he's tapping into some common white American mythology of the mid-20th century as a golden age. I don't dispute that there's something to that, from a very insular point of view at least, but of course I don't think we'd have to flip too many pages in our history books to be able to point out some difficulties we'd have with the view through those rose-colored glasses that Dean is looking through in this point. But let's not make the mistake so many make of hearing in a song something more than a particular expression of an authentic feeling at a particular moment. There's no reason Dean needs to be thought of as making a wider political statement here or doing anything more than being honest about a complicated personal struggle at that moment in his life. Tammy Wynette haters, I'm looking at you. Merle Haggard haters too. Dean's struggle here has less to do with the reality of the past than about the reality of adulthood and what it means practically in the present day for him. And it's great. I love the genuine expression of confusion, of feeling the pull of polarization even in 1992, and really just doing the best he can through it all. You have great lines like, there's such a thin line between right and wrong. Right? There is sometimes. The things that he may have even seen as right in the 1960s now may seem less so. It's perhaps that very nostalgia for the past that forms part of his struggle. And the genuine resolve to do the best he can, even when, especially when, it gets complicated. How relatable is that? Even the resolution, or is it resignation, that there's only so much he can do. That's real life, folks. Country music can do that. I'm going to grant you all sorts of points that his struggle is flowing largely out of a particular Southern American, white, maybe even privileged upbringing. But so what? That makes them no less real. And maybe that's something that's tying together the relatability of so many of these songs. I mean, let's just say it. With some notable exceptions, country music is largely the music of Southern white American culture. Is that culture fraught? You better believe it is. I'm part of it, and I see it all the time. But that reality doesn't minimize the legitimacy of it and, moreover, the authenticity of genuine expression that flows out of it. Am I onto something here? Or is the fact that I'm writing from within a culture about the music of that culture mean that I'm overplaying my hand on that music's broader relatability? That's where I need your help. Find Nashville Anthems on Instagram or Facebook and drop me a line with your thoughts on that. Enrich my understanding of what's going on here with the song Billy the Kid and more broadly in 80s and 90s country music. But for now, let's holster our white plastic-gripped Colt 45s and find out what song we'll be taking shots through our handlebars at on the next episode of Nashville Anthems. I'm going to pull up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station right now and see what's playing. Oh, we have a wedding classic. It's Shania Twain with her duet partner, Brian White, and the song From This Moment On. I look forward to getting into that one with you in two weeks. In the meantime, as I said, find me on social media. Thanks so much for listening. It's truly an honor. Don't forget to tell a friend about us. Bye for now. I gotta go. I think I need to be time to supper. <laughs>